This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today, it's my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing very well. This is uh, something... When we do it this live, I know like when we do it in my office, or not just my office, both of our offices, I always make sure to stare straight into the camera <laughs> so I'm not some freak and I'm looking down. So like this is new, turning to my right as the show opens. We're no. going to have a conversation with each other I know, people. It's great. Yeah. I know. It's, uh, as opposed to like just speaking into a, a microphone and everyone make, make, saying, hey, turn it up and all that. This is nice. we got other people that are in charge of my microphone volume and everything. But the awesome media row. We finally made it. We're here. To the big show. We are here. We are at the big show. We for the big for the big game. We're at the big show for the big game. Yes. Today is our big time Super Bowl preview, which we have spent all week chipping away at. Yes. Kind of honing in on what we thought, think about the game, what we think is going to happen. We're going to dig into all the nitty gritty, yeah. all of the details on each side of the ball, all the little nuggets we've stumbled onto over the last couple of weeks. But before we get deep, deep into it, let's zoom out a little bit and talk one more time about sort of the bigger picture elements of this game and what it may mean. It's a fantastic Super Bowl. Yes. I mean, there are years where you get a team like last year's Bengals. Sorry, last year's Bengals, yes. where they, they kind of stumble into it. And maybe they're not a fully formed Super Bowl caliber team in the way that we typically think of them. You think, oh, man, you know, this is maybe like the seventh or eighth best team in the yep. league. These teams were right there every single year. They're the number one seeds in their respective yes. conferences. They were arguably the best team in the AFC and the NFC, respectively, the entire season. It's a one-and-a-half-point line. You have so much star power on both sides of the ball. You have the best quarterback in the league. You have a star-laden Eagles team that has high-level players at every level of their offense and defense. You have a Super Bowl-winning, all-time great head coach. You have a new up-and-coming head coach. The storylines galore. You have a quarterback who has just gotten so much better over the last year and has kind of emerged on the scene against the guy who has owned the league essentially yep. since he walked into it. You can't ask for anything more. You have two brothers playing against each right. other in the Super Bowl. I know, they checked every we, box with we, this. We, we I know. keep going and going and going. You couldn't ask for anything more from this game on a narrative level, yep. let alone the matchup stuff that we're going to dig into right. here in a second. And even just, uh, yeah, the, I mean, for nerds, it's great. The team-building aspects and the line play is amazing and talking to different people this week is everybody's in the same boat going like I'm just excited to see what unfolds just like yeah. we are I'm excited to see what's uh, you got awesome assistant coaches that like every aspect of this game special teams we'll brush that aside but other than that all, all these other you got a lot of special teams notes for this I have one line just in case so we have to hit that you know we're, we really want to push over that two hour mark but uh, it's really I, I totally agree with you. So if you're just a narrative fan, you're, you've got an up-and-coming quarterback, even like Jalen Hurts and his growth as a player and leading to what he is now. But that's like a fun story as well because sometimes people get a little bored, you know, with the, the greatness of other players. So I'm, I'm guilty of it. Yeah, I'm fully ready we to all admit are. it. Uh, but, it's, but that's the thing is it's narrative, schematic, nerds, <laughs> everything that you want in a game. What's hopefully the commercials are great too because then you got everything covered. But I, I honestly, this is truly a game that it's been really fun to dive into because we talked about this. You referenced the Bengals last year. And, again, no offense to the Bengals. We enjoyed them a lot this year. Was last year was kind of like, well, we know what they do on offense. And, like, reviewing them for this game or previewing, it was like three bullet points, four bullet points. All right, be ready for the go balls. But then, of course, the Bengals are better this year. But this year it's like these teams and both sides of the ball, offense and defense, it's, just, it's awesome. And that's why it's the Super Bowl. It's super. It's great. 
Let's talk about the story of this Eagles team a little bit. You know, we've talked a lot of, over the past week or so about their path these past two years. It hasn't been that long since this was a team that was tanking yeah. in Week 17 with Nate Sudfeld. They were a four-win team. Doug Peterson was getting fired, and our colleagues at The Athletic were writing very necessary exposés about how fractured of an organization yes. that it was. But even if you kind of narrow that scope to a more recent timeline, Think about how you felt about this team a year ago yes. when they lost to the Bucks in the playoffs and what it looked like and how different that moment feels from the team that you watched all of 2022. Yeah, and we, watching last year's Eagles, I mean, I remember when the Eagles and Chiefs played each other last year, we did a whole segment on Mahomes and the Chiefs. We barely even talked about the Eagles in that segment. <laughs> I was calling Mahomes Thanos. <laughs> and I think that was week five last year. But honestly, it felt like a turning point for that team and the quarterback and then what they did on offense and then yes the playoff game last year was like okay th should this team be in the playoffs oh who knows and they were okay they came on the second half of the year but then now it's it's like dominance that's that turning point that's all they were that's a, they yes. were kind of like a an oddity yep. and like a novelty and it's like oh man what an interesting pivot the yes. eagles took yes and then they become this very specific thing where i'm impressed with the coaching staff and yep. specifically the offensive coaching staff but i had very real doubts about where they could take who they were in January of 2022 yep. and build it into what they are in February of 2023. That's what I've referenced this game many of times, that Tampa Bay game in the playoffs last year, and I, I just seeing what the Bucks did to the Eagles offense, I was like, yep, see it is. There, there's the wall that they run into in this, I wouldn't call it a gimmicky offense, but kind of how they sprinkled some stuff in because the run game is really specific. Yes, unique. Yes, I will say that in a, a very special way. But <laughs> everyone's special. <laughs> everyone's special, especially this offense. But seeing what the Bucks did to it, that was always in the back of my mind. I've referenced this on several shows with us, other shows I've done I've referenced it. I can't believe you've done so many other shows I know, this I'm week. I know, I'm so sorry. You like casually mentioned that you did a dozen other podcasts this week, and I was like, I didn't do a dozen other podcasts this week. I don't, that's not, I'm, I have more respect for you than that. Oh, it's also, I want to like never again. <laughs> Am I doing that? Honestly, people. No, I've had a powerful to, word, Nate. I've, I've had to sit on a lot of takes this week waiting for this show <laughs> to unfurl what we're going to talk about and the detail we want to go to waiting for this show. So those other shows weren't as fun to do because I was just using Good save. Good five, save. 5% yeah. of, of what I wanted to you've talk got about. A, you've got a ways to come back from, but you're doing, you're, it's a good start. So, the obviously the Jalen Hurts thing we can talk about, but yeah. even beyond Jalen Hurts, there were weaknesses of that team that you could just see plainly when you watched them. It's right. like, oh, they don't have a second corner, and their defensive line is built for this Jim Schwartz one gap penetrating right. even front. They don't have the personnel to kind of run that sort of system. You know, it's Devontae Smith and Quez Watkins, and Devontae Smith's a nice piece, but they just don't have enough weapons. And then this offseason, they go out and answer every single one of those questions in succession. Yeah. They trade for A.J. Brown. They <laughs> sign Hassan Reddick. They had the second least amount of sacks in the NFL last season. Their pass rush was not good. Okay? They go oh, out that's and the sound of Falcons fans jumping off a bridge right now. <laughs> like, those, those poor, we just, poor we have 25 fans. sacks every year, and they just do this like in one offseason? Yeah, I know. It's not fair. A.J. Brown, Hassan Reddick. Yep. James Bradbury comes in as your second corner. They trade for C.J. Gardner-Johnson in August to kind of put the secondary all together. They go get multiple run-stuffing defensive yes. tackles. Kaiser White, they sign in the It's every single little thing that they needed, they go out and fill. So when you're looking at this team before the season starts, my thought is, okay, this ideal they have of being able to be multiple on offense and defense and kind of go these different directions on both sides of the ball, they can do that now. Yeah. They have the personnel at pretty much every single spot to be the team that they want to be. 
the one thing left is quarterback. Yeah. That is the one thing where it's like, all right, I'm so excited about this entire roster, and I wanted so desperately to pick them to win the NFC, and I couldn't do it. Because in my mind, all I'm doing is sitting there thinking about watching Jalen Hurts against the Bucks and saying, it's so far. The, the, the gap that he has to climb over is so far for me to feel like this is the best team in the conference going into the season. And guess what? He got there. Yes. And what do you think you learned the most from the progress that Jalen Hurts made this season? When we came into the year, they had an extra first-round pick. Mm-hmm. And the thought wasn't, oh, when Jalen Hurts turns into a star, the Eagles will be great. It's, well, if he doesn't, that's why they have that extra first-round pick next right. year. So the fact that we're so far removed even from that discussion, what do you think you learned from that progress that he made this season? Well, and I, and not only just with Jalen Hurts here, what I'm about to say, but also just all the young quarterbacks that's entered the NFL in the last few years is how much situation matters yeah. <laughs> and, and being how much – even the best ones, the guys like – I would bring up the number one pick, Trevor Lawrence. Look at the situation he was in last year and the growth he showed this year. With you know, Of course, Doug Peterson's there too as well, so funnily enough. But also just with Hurts, and yes, he has shown growth as a player. Is it all the way there yet? No, I'll be honest. It's not like a, he's not a perfect quarterback at this point this in time. Is second full year as a starter. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and he's going from, I'll say it, like the Oklahoma offense that he ran at the end of his college career. It's way different than NFL offense. Even what the Eagles run is different than what he was throwing and running at, at Oklahoma. So the growth as a player coaching matters situation matters and have that's when you get the growth of these players is he doesn't have to carry the load all the time yes there's times where he is the best player on the field and running the ball and carrying and making great throws but there's other times where they don't have to rely on that and that helps with growth with any young player much less quarterback the most prominent position so i think that's what it is is how much these guys are susceptible to situation and hurts has obviously benefited from the situation but it's helped him grow yes it's helped him make it better which i think it's mutually beneficial for the whole team and that's why we're here it's so hard to untangle that sometimes when you're talking about it the situation has absolutely accelerated what he's done, but he himself has progressed. Yes. It's just pushed that progression. Yes. And it's, that's been very cool to watch. And the other side of it, I think it's worth mentioning every single time and bringing up, he allows them to be as flexible as they yeah. are on offense. Not every young quarterback, he's not just along for the ride. Like no. Their flexibility is created in part because of how unique his skill set is. Right. That, and that's... So there's some well, the last well, the, when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl last, not even the Bucks game, but the game before that against the 49ers. It's different than when, when you know Jimmy G and we talk about that the Shanahan offense could be a training wheels offense. There's some training wheels aspects of the Eagles. There's a lot of easy buttons, but it's because of Hertz's skill set yeah. that they can hit those easy buttons. They were the best run team in the league this year. They are not the best running team in the league without Jalen oh, Hurts as their quarterback. Absolutely not. Just watch what the run game. The run game was fine the last couple of weeks of the season, but it's it's a totally different flavor totally different just explode the defenses are not as scared it's literally math yeah it's it's just it's just one number and another number. it really is that's all it is and even just the runs they can get to they're such a gun heavy team having a running quarterback uh we'll reference this game a couple times but watching the packers the packers are a lot of gun and they run a lot of gun runs aaron Rodgers isn't keeping any of those balls and you see what the packers have to do to change that math back in their favor so that's the same thing he just makes it easier on the coaches and they make it easy on him so again it's so hard to untangle this stuff but it's i'm saying there's a positive way for both the situation that the uh, gm built howie roseman what the coaches are doing the changes they've done and the growth that jalen hurts has done because of the situation i think there are people justifiably doubting what jalen hurts could be this season no one was doubting what patrick mahomes is (laughs) but i still think people were wondering what this Chiefs team would look like without Tyreek Hill. You have an entirely revamped receiving core. You have this retooled secondary, no Tyron Matthew, no Charvarius Ward. They're getting so young on defense. 
when we did our preview podcast coming into the season, you were all in. You were all in on this Chiefs team. Your belief in them never wavered. Your belief in Mahomes never wavered. Why did you still think they could be here this weekend? They could be in this game despite all of those moving parts. And this is funny. Why I was so all in on the Chiefs actually makes me sound like a hypocrite of why I wouldn't have been all in on what the Eagles did. Um, but also, they have what I think is the best quarterback on the planet. I think a lot of us think that. I think math, numbers, everything you look at, eye test. A stout offensive line, which is usually what unravels an offense that's trying to grow or be successful, a top-tier offense, which we've seen happen to the Chiefs, and also Andy Reid. And I saw what that Bengals game did. I could tell that that changed what the Chiefs wanted to do. It, it just really did. That Bengals AFC Championship game, the second half of the game, I've referred to this a few times, they went back and ate their vegetables. They went back to the basics of what offensive football should be. I've used the term separate church and state. That's what they did to their RPOs. They said, we're just going to be a straight run team, a straight play action team, and a straight pass team because we have Mahomes and we have a stout offensive line. So let's build around it. There's no you. Yes, they throw in some RPOs and everything and some of the Andy Reid gimmick stuff, but we don't have to be gimmicky. We're really good. So let's just embrace that. And that's what it was. I was just betting on Mahomes being Mahomes. I was betting on the offensive line continuing to be a little bit better with because uh, it's so young, with center and right guard or second-year players. And I figured Andy Reid would figure it out. I thought they just had a little fire under them. And they did. <laughs> they absolutely did this entire season. They were on that warpath. The offensive line is such a good point because I think the realization they came to after that Bucks game was as long as we protect him, yeah. we can survive. We yes. can compete. We can be in this. That's the only thing that can derail this. Yes. So they went out and very intentionally rebuilt that entire line but almost, last ob- almost like obnoxiously so yes, they yes. did it. But, but they did it. They really did it. And remember all of the conversations we had coming into last year about are the, Eagle, are the Chiefs going to run a lot more like gap scheme runs? Like, Is that going to be more a part of who they are? And it didn't really happen no, last year. It didn't. They still kind of lived and died by a lot of inside zone. And this year, it did happen. In year two, we kind of saw that diversity of the run game yes. start to build up. We really saw that offensive line solidified because when I've talked about this team over the last six months or so, the way that I've always framed it is, okay, if you have Mahomes and Andy Reid, you can change the things that are orbiting that pairing. But the offensive line is the other part of that kind of rock-solid foundation along with Travis Kelsey. But you mentioning the line there is really, really good because sometimes I forget how important that is and how steady that has been as all the other things have changed. And I think, deservedly so, we've talked a lot about the Eagles' offensive line. The Chiefs' offensive line has two all-pros as well. It's a very, very good group. (laughs) Like, they're solid across the board, even what everyone will say about their, their tackles and everything. But it's a very good offensive line. And I also think, too, is... With Travis Kelsey and how he gets used as their X receiver, and we talked about this yesterday on our, our show, talking about the ten factors or ten players. Uh, we know who, the, no one remembers what it was called. <laughs> but but with Travis Kelsey is that as since he's their X receiver, they could use their other receivers as kind of super role players, yeah. and that's why I wasn't maybe as scared as other people. Well, losing Tyreek Hill. Trust me, my dad was on a team that traded away Randy Moss. I can see what happens when you <laughs> trade away the deep threat that's one of the best receivers in the game. Randy was the best at the time. But did that- you see did you see the in the um the piece that Albert Breer wrote about the trade when he talked to Brad Feach this week? No. He said that he didn't want to take the Jets offer because the Jets offer was just the tenth overall pick and Brett Veach didn't want to be the guy that traded Randy Moss for Troy Williamson. 
Yeah. Sorry, buddy. This is okay. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. It doesn't. Could have had DeAndre Ware. I still think about it. Don't worry. It doesn't live with that 2005 draft. We had Erasmus James in Troy Woods, and that's how we got those. Yeah, go Badgers. Uh, but that's because having Kelsey and all that, when they signed MVS and signed Juju, and I, I was seeing, I kind of saw the light. Even if some of what they've done hasn't been exactly what I was predicting, it was they're using those guys as the tight ends, and Kelsey is the receiver in this office. And I didn't think – I didn't really – picture their use of tight ends even where we'll talk about there's a bunch their 12 and 13 personnel stuff I didn't really see that as the light of what they would do but that's Andy Reid being Andy Reid and that's why he's very good at finding different answers with his personnel and so that's Travis Kelsey's outstanding and seeing these guys I think they were like let's have a bunch of B type players because Mahomes is going to make them B plus A minus type players just because he puts the ball right into their chest there are times coming into games like this I where Troy Williamson got reference. I'm like, sorry, buddy. No, it's okay. We do enough bears. We do enough bears. We do enough bears talk. So, like, yeah. So this that was that was deserved. <laughs> there are elements of just my fan reptile brain that still kind of they, it becomes prominent in these moments. And the Mahomes legacy stuff is the, the example of that yeah. this year. Like, it is awesome to me that there is a chance this guy wins his second Super Bowl in five seasons and what that does for him because when you look back at some of the other guys who've done that early in their yeah. career the two guys i think of immediately are tom brady and ben roethlisberger yeah. okay think about what tom brady and ben roethlisberger were to the first super bowl teams that they were on right ben Along roethlisberger threw ride. like 300 passes that season yes. as a rookie in 2005 yes. think about what tom brady was in the larger kind of galaxy of the 2001 patriots yep. And then think about what Patrick Mahomes has been to the Super Bowl teams that he has been on so far, to those five teams that, those five teams that went to AFC Championship yep. games. He's the centerpiece of all of it. Yes. The, guy that this, the idea that this guy could win his second MVP and his second Super Bowl in his first five seasons when he is the most important piece of those teams, we haven't seen that in my lifetime, I don't no. think. I mean, we t- I just went on the whole tangent with, the situation and hurts and letting him grow. That's what Brady and Big Ben had. Mahomes, yes, he sat Russell the, Wilson. Yeah, Russ, yep. And then they Mahomes, yes, he sat for that one year, but he popped in and was like, oh, this guy is was the MVP of the league. Yeah. He threw 50 touchdown passes. This guy is the offense. And honestly, the only name I can think of is Marino. And But Marino, went, Marino was the 29th pick or whatever it was, 28th pick. He also never won a Super Bowl. Yes. And when he went to, when they went to that AFC Championship game in 2018, they lost. I remember my dad saying that. It's like, oh, when Marino went to the Super Bowl, everyone goes, oh, he's going to go to like 20 of them. Like, just wait. Because that always happens. Yes. We always say that. I'll never forget, I was walking with Philip Rivers outside of the Chargers facility a couple of years ago, and it was, I think, during the 2018 season when the Chargers were in the playoffs, and it seemed like his kind of last opportunity. Yeah. And he was telling me the story about after they lost in the 2010 playoffs, and Norv Turner was the coach, and Norv said to him, he's like, yeah, we'll be back. Right. You know, it, it, we'll be back. I, I can't remember what year it was. Maybe it wasn't 2010, but it was early in his career when he was the starter. And he was like, we'll be back. You know, this is, this is what happens. Like, you'll, when you're this good, it's, you know, whatever. And they weren't. Yeah. Like, they didn't get back. And the Chiefs have shown that they might be the exception to this. Like, he is so good and they are so good that they might just be a fixture here in the same way that the Patriots were. And if he can actually do this and win his second in this amount of time, and we did the Andy Reid kind of legacy stuff yesterday – it's a pretty special accomplishment, and yep. they are on the precipice of something that is pretty damn special. Yeah, and it's just 
it's not just like uh, that was the discussion, especially with you know the Brady and Manning talks when they were playing. It was like, well, one's more the winner and one is the stack guy, you know, and that's why it's your pick with that. Mahomes is both. Could be both. Yeah. <laughs> Mahomes, Mahomes is both. He got, he's got both narratives checked off already, and this would just to me it would just be a bow on it. Like, okay, this uh, now he's if you don't say he's top three, it's like what are you talking about? Like to me, I mean, even go further than that. I mean, he's not even thirty. Like he's this, 27. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, that's the thing. It's not he's 33, and it's like, oh, yep, he's got his second one. Now it's – he's not even – yeah, he's 27. That's and Roethlisberger insane. had two by 26, and I think Brady had two by 24. But oh, yeah. Two or 20, but it's very different. Very different. And that that's what I have to want to keep coming back to here is how they've done it and the prominence yes. they've had in the recipe of how their teams here. have done it is very, very different. I'm glad you bring this up because when we were doing our genealogy show, I was looking at some of those early 2000 uh, Steeler teams because – young quarterback and all that for the Eagles. I was just trying to figure out one way to kind of tie it together. It didn't really work. I think I, I, I threw in a 2008 Steelers, but I did find one other Steelers when he was early on in his teams and everything, or, or early on in his career, Big Ben. And I'm, like, looking at his stat lines, and it's freaking hilarious. Like, he had games where he's throwing, like, 12 passes. So the, Brady and Ben Roethlisberger combined in their first Super Bowl seasons, I believe, through 10 more pass attempts than Patrick Mahomes threw this year. That's actually real. I looked it up today because I, uh, I was ready for this conversation. Yes, that's different. Yeah, he threw. Oh my god, I know. Just like, yeah, I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I no one can see this on video right now, but he. <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty hilarious looking at Big Ben, and all of a sudden, by the end of his career, when he's 36, he's thrown 675 passes. Oh, oh yeah, that, because he didn't want to do anything. He's no. going to stand in the gun and launch it. There we go. We're pointing, picking everything out. But again, these guys got to grow into their role as a quarterback, and there's nothing wrong with that. We're not saying like, oh, everybody's got to find their Mahomes. Like, everyone's. They watched the Mahomes-Josh Allen game last year, and I think that kind of broke some people's brains about where <laughs> where quarterbacks are and where the offenses are in the league and the NFL. And uh, you know, might see a little race going for that, but that's the thing: is these guys grew into it. They got comfortable. They got a coordinator that worked with them perfectly. Or you know, I think in Brady's sense, it was dropping Randy Moss and Wes, Wes Welker helps as well. But he was able to grow into that situation. By the time that happened, he was all you know, all systems go. Mahomes just yeah just popped right in and did it, <laughs> which is again it's absurd. I mean the only other guy we've had recently is Lamar and they lost in the playoffs in the first round for them or divisional round. So you don't really see this that too often. Before we move on, you you want to know what Ben Roethlisberger's stat line was in his first Super Bowl win? It's oh, yes I do. It was nine of twenty one. Yes for one hundred and twenty three yards. He had two interceptions. He averaged three point five seven yards per attempt. He had a quarterback rating of twenty two. He's going to Disney World, baby. Rings all count the same. Yes. All right. He's going to Disney World. <laughs> you ready to do this? Yes, I am. <laughs> all right. Let's dig in. Let's start with when the Eagles have the ball. <sighs> Where do you want to get going with this? What's, your, what's the first thing that is on your mind when the Eagles have the ball in this game? How is Steve Spagnola going to slow down the run game? That, that, that for, is also my – I have two buckets yes. that, I, that I am thinking about. That is bucket number one. Yes. So we're on the same page. And my short answer is, I don't know. But my, <laughs> but my long answer that we'll kind of talk in here is, again, we have to remember this Chiefs team, ever since their bye week, this is the stats I've been sitting on for all freaking week because I've had to, like, <laughs> tiptoe and refer to this, but I didn't want to use all these. So Steve Spagnuolo, I've referenced this many of times. We've talked about it is – one of the best game planning coaches. He gets a lot better after the bye week. Every time, if you look at his history, after the bye week, they change what they do. They emphasize different things. That's the self-scouting. That's his confidence as a coach. Remember, we talked about this. Since their bye week, and including playoff games, so even more sample size here, they're fifth in defensive success rate. They're fifth in passing success rate. Most importantly, they're eighth in rushing success rate. 
and they're third in defensive success rate against shotgun runs, which I thought was very interesting, and they're going against one of the gun-heavy teams. Their EPA and their explosive plays hover around 10th, but this team and this defense, and, and I'll just kind of just talk about what Spags has done since 2019, this is the best Chiefs defense since he's got there better than the 2019 team that won the Super Bowl. They're lowest in blitz rate. They got a ton of knockdowns. They got all this stuff, but they're also lowest on rushes and plays of five or more yards. It's different than how I pictured a lot of Chiefs defenses. I've watched them all year, but really studying them, it's different. They, I think before it was kind of like if you're on offense playing against Mahomes and Spags, it's like they're just trying to get turnovers and sacks and everything. It was so, a high-variance team. Yep, That's high exactly variance what team. they were trying to do. That's what they were built it to do. It was like a team that pressed in basketball. Go like on Every rounds. once in a while you were going to get blitzed and they were going to get a couple easy buckets. Yes. But if you created two turnovers, the game was over. That's exactly And they it. knew that, and that's how they played. Yep, and that's exactly it. That's exactly it. They were going on a 17-24 point run. That's what they wanted to do. Just remember the Texans game playoff game when they were down whatever it was, 17-0, 24-0. That's what was so cool about it, though, is the complementary aspects of how they played on both sides yes. of the ball and how conscious and intentional it was was very neat to watch. It was just two sides of the ball screaming the entire game. Just, ah, here we go. <laughs> but, but the, and also this team, and this is uh, uh, this guy where I'm going to talk about a few times, but just with Justin Reed, and I thought the, the switch from Honey Badger to Justin Reed at safety, I think a lot of people are, well, that's kind of boring. Like, what's Justin Reed compared? That's Honey Badger. Oh, my God, he's creating the turnovers. If you watch those Bengals games, especially the playoffs last year when weather got cold, Honey Badger wasn't tackling anybody. And Tyron Matthew was not – the DBs were – they were okay with not doing any of that. Tackling Jamar Chase was not fun for them. So this year – this doesn't is the, seem fun. It doesn't. This is the lowest rate of missed tackles the Chiefs have had under SPACs, significantly so. And Justin Reed kind of is the epitome of that. He kind of is like – what that is like the one player that kind of has this emphasis. And why I'm saying all this with the run game, curious how they, d- they defend QB-designed runs um, – they do usually scrape attacks, which is one of the DN crashes, and the linebacker loops around. The Eagles, and we have complimented the Eagles this whole year, they always find an answer. Yes. It could be t- sometimes it takes a series, a quarter, a half. Sometimes it takes till the next week, but they always find an answer. Their answer for this, and this is what college teams have done, is they arc the tight end around because then that blocks the guy that's scraping over the top, the linebacker. The guy, the next step to that is the safety's got to come down crashing hard to tackle the quarterback if he keeps the ball. And that's what the Chiefs do, and that's what Justin Reed, Reed does. I watched, I watched Jeff Driscoll in the Texans game against this Chiefs defense and watching because I was looking, who, who are the QB design runs they got on us? The Malik Willis game was kind of like way out of hand, but I mean the game was close, but poor Malik Willis in that game. But, <laughs> but So I watched a little Driscoll because they kept it close, and I watched them design runs. They played them so much better than I was anticipating. I, I thought it would be a little chaotic. Bolton would be going the wrong way. Willie Gay, you know, oh, my God, what are they doing? It's too much chaos. They're blitzing at the wrong time. And it was a lot more sound than I was expecting. I think that's why I want to emphasize with this Chiefs team. It's a very sound defense, but Spags can get crazy. And I was curious if he does get crazy to defend this run game. The teams, I, I wanted to go back and watch some teams that had some success against yeah. the Eagles run game in the regular season. And the team I really landed on was the Colts. Okay. And then I watched the first half of the Niners game last week when the Niners did very well. And I was thinking, oh, that's interesting because you have teams with even fronts. Yeah. So there's some turn, there's some possible carryover with what the Chiefs might do. And what both of those teams were doing, and I'm curious if you think this is just like, if this is something that might be a solution. So the, the Colts were doing this really intentionally where instead of having a three technique and a shade or a one technique, they would have a three technique and a two eye over the guard. So they were leaving Kelsey almost entirely uncovered. The Niners were doing this as well, mm-hmm. where they'd have a three and a two or a three and even two threes on first down. Right. 
and what they were doing against a run team. <laughs> yes. And so you're watching that and like, man, that just seems wild. And what they were doing is seemingly creating one-on-one matchups in the run game mm-hmm. with those guards. Mm-hmm. And it was creating a lot of traffic, and it wasn't allowing the Chief, the Eagles to get any double teams. And That's it was key. consistently working. Yes. And so you just kind of let Kelsey travel to the second level, but you're not really getting a body on the backside linebacker or that other linebacker because the guards are occupied. Yes. No, and they were doing that really, really well consistently. The thing is... The Colts have Grover Stewart and DeForest Buckner, yeah. who, when those guys against Salmalu and Landon Dickerson, those are wins for the Colts. Yes. And they were consistently taking advantage of those wins. The Niners don't have that, but those Niners guys play with their hair on fire, yes. and it doesn't really matter who seems to be there. So you have the best run defense in the league, and you have a team with one of the best run defense tandems yes. at defensive tackle in the league yeah. with the Colts, and specifically guys built to do this exact thing. I'm wondering if the Chiefs defensive tackles outside of Chris Jones can replicate this sort of plan? No, that's that's a great question. Well, and then that Colts game, and this is complimenting Jeff Stoutland and the Eagles offensive line and their adaptability. I think this is what's so cool about having so many guys that have played so many reps for the Eagles for years and years, not only just Kelsey and Johnson, but these guys have seen a lot and they can adjust. They're one of the best adjusting to the run, uh, what defenses are doing to their run game. And what the, they did started doing against the Colts were doing the tackle-pull stuff yeah. with Maialata because if you have that rush front, that's why I call two-three techniques is a rush front. And that, that, it's a great observation, too, by the way. I want to emphasize, too, is that you've seen outside zone teams get absolutely – and I know I'm not talking about the Eagles here. Just that cloth of double teams matters so much for angles and what you want to create. So that's what you're saying. You're wasting Kelsey there. But they adjusted with pulling the tackles because the, everybody was able to block down yep. and block outside. How do you create your angles? How do you create your angles? Angles and numbers. That's what the run game is. That's what pass protection is. And that's what I'm curious if – I'm curious, too, is what the fronts they're going to lean into because that would be the – the Chiefs want to get to passing downs. That's what, they, that's what Steve Spagnuolo wants to do. Hold on. Hold them to four yards. Oh, okay, it's third and six, third and seven. All right, here we go. That's traditionally what he's wanted to do. He's blitzed a little less on third and fourth down this year. But I think that's what the Eagles have that counter no matter what. And to me, it's that tackle trap. Play. It happened last week. Yeah. When they were going against the Niners and they saw, okay, you're leaving these weak side runs open. If we go into this trips formation yes. to the right or that three-by-one formation right, we're running these weak side runs. We're yeah. just going to gash you on them consistently. Yeah. They always have a little answer. And talking to some of the Chiefs defensive coaches this week, they're very aware of that. Yeah. It's like they just seem to hone in. I was talking to the Chiefs linebackers coach, and we were just discussing – how the Eagles are willing to hit the same stuff over and over again when it's working. And he's like, I'm always curious why offensive coaches don't do that. He's like, they're willing to do that. Yes. So they're very aware that Philadelphia specifically will lean into that stuff continuously. Especially if they cross the 50 with one run play that's working, you'll see it three, four times in a row. I've I've had no less than four or five Twitter threads over the last two years of the Eagles offensive line just or Eagles offense running this literally the same run. They don't even change up the formation. That's like in the personnel groupings. That's what a lot of coaches will do. They're like, okay, we run well, Shanahan does this great. We're running the same concept, but we're dressing it up different. No. Same motion, same personnel, same alignment, and they just beat you over the head with it because they know you're not gonna be able to adjust before that drive's over. Yep. And I agree with you. I that's always been a Big thing for me, my dad, also a former offensive line coach, so I, this is a little bit of me or him coming out me right now, is that I always got frustrated with too. That was my frustration with Kellen Moore sometimes, was that repeat the call. It was working great, and he did a great job this year. But st- run until they stop it. And that's, that's uh, really that's the Eagles' kind of MO on offense. We're going to run something. 
It's not always power. It's not always trap. It's not always pin-pull. But we're going to run something until you stop it. And if you do stop it, okay, here's the next one. All right, we're going to run that until you stop it. And that's what they do throughout the game. And it's, it's really fun. I, I want to emphasize this again. Not only just with Jalen Hurts and opening up with that, it's really, really enjoyable to watch the Eagles offensive line go to work because they're so mentally astute and they're so well coached. It, it's so cool to watch this team unfold and not have too many busts outside of Landry Dickerson sometimes, but too many busts where they just, oh, they're running this concept, and there's no kind of like looking around going, what was that? Like sometimes where the adjustments happen, you get two or three guys are kind of busting on a play because they're not used to it. This Eagles team, that never really happens. The one other difference between this Eagles team and some of the other quarterback run teams that the Chiefs have played against yeah. over the last couple of years, again, from conversations this week with people, you know, the only team that they've really played against consistently that plays like this is Baltimore. Yeah. But Baltimore is a heavy, heavy yes. personnel team. The Eagles are so strange in that they're this run-heavy team and this quarterback run-heavy team out of spread formations. They're a 70% 11-personnel team. They've run the ball on nearly 40% of their spread formation looks this season, which is the most in the league, according to next-gen stats. And it just presents such a unique problem. They've ticked up their heavy personnel usage in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. They're at about 40% so far in the playoffs from about 27% Mm -hmm. in the regular season. And I don't... I have a theory as to why they were doing that. I think against the Giants, it was a way to get the Giants and heavy personnel yes. and kind of control the game. The Giants were the worst team in the NFL out of base. Yes. So, that, that, so that I don't sense. know if that maybe is a predictor of what's yeah. to come, but that is what they've done so far this season. And the, the last note I wanted to sh- just throw out there about this matchup specifically, the Chiefs during the regular season were 12th in defensive success rate against the run this year. When you think about some of the Chiefs teams we've watched over the last couple seasons, 12th is a miracle. Yes. It's an absolute revelation. Yes. So this is not some huge mismatch that it might have been in 2020 or for stretches of last year. The the Chiefs defense is much more equipped to deal with this team than they would have at other periods of the Spagnuolo-Reed era. It's a great point. Since their bye week, whatever I said, their 7th or 8th, their, their, their success rate against the run was 60, just under 64%. It was 61% of the whole season. Their previous season high under Spags was 57.5. So like, <laughs> I know that's like, okay, what's 6.5? That's like going from top five, like I said, to what, 24th, 26th? Yeah. That's yeah. usually where they were hanging out yeah. most metrics. The year they the won the Super Bowl, years. it was under 55%, which yeah. is, that, I mean, that means just offense is 45% for the offense puts you like, I mean, easily top four, <laughs> I would say, as a run offense. So basically every offense they went against, they were letting that up. I also think that great point about all the tight end usage because usually that was another thing. In a, uh, Bulls, Todd Bulls, and Steve Spagnuolo, usually you go against them. The one thing you want to try to do against them is that get them into base. Makes them less exotic, and they're not really sound, so you can gash them in the run game. The Chiefs are actually pretty good out of base. It's, they wouldn't have three linebackers on the field. They're not bad. Um, so that kind of advantage has got taken away. Your boy, away. Leo Chanel. No. Oh, my God, plugger. He still should be a Patriot. But, yeah, he, 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 he's coming to his own, too, because they also use him very intelligently. They just have him run straight downhill all the time. There's no – he's never in space. But they're also – they're very good defending the run out of nickel. They're fifth when they're uh, defending nickel. So they have more answers than they typically did. I also want to see if they do match with nickel against if they go 12. I noticed that teams had success against this Eagles team. Kind of counterintuitive. The Colts, uh, I have this written down, Colts, Bears, Commanders, and Titans all had success matching base, so 12 personnel, with nickel. Like, Interesting. I, uh, first and also, I, they could 
potentially play big nickel too if they wanted to and with, get Cook on the field exactly, as that third guy because he's call. they played a lot of dime recently. Yes. And so that was one of my other things that I was thinking about is that some of the quirks that have come up with the Chiefs over the last, especially in the playoffs and even in the second half of the season, they were split safety on two-thirds of their snaps in the postseason, which is they led the league in the, during the regular season, but yeah. it was still only 57%. Okay. So that's still a 10% in, increase, okay? They had the highest split safety rate in the league this year. They've used dime personnel on 35% of their postseason snaps, which it's they like were 23% yeah. in the regular season. Yeah. And they played a lot more two-man. It's 12.6% of snaps compared to 5.4 in the regular season. All of those little tweaks don't seem to apply to the game they're about to play. So the improvements that we've seen from them and them playing a little bit better on that side of the ball, the ways they've created that, I don't know how applicable those are to the game we're about to see. There, there's some, and we'll talk about the past game, there was some more than I thought from the Bengals game than uh, some, some carryover, the AFC Championship game specifically, and like you're saying, dime on third and fourth down and all that, but also just the what the Bengals do. They're a shotgun-heavy team. They run out of the shotgun, spread formations. They got two outstanding receivers. Uh, so I think there was more carryover than I was anticipating. Joe Burrow is not going to be asked to run <laughs> as many times as Jalen Hurts does, so that math changes a lot. But I did think that, like, that the Bengals' run game was really interesting, even though they're the kings of the five-yard gain. But it was it's still, that's an effective gain. Like, and I, I just want to say, this is my little stat here about that uh, nickel matching with base, or matching nickel to 12 personnel. Uh, the rush success rate for the Eagles, who are top five in the last 20 years with their run game overall, they dropped to below 40%, which is about league average when they're in base in 12 and the defense matches with nickel. And it's a decent amount of sample size. That's interesting. I know. And, I, and the Colts I wonder game, what the reason for that is. The Colts game was, okay, so usually uh, what the Chiefs The Colts didn't play with a, light, a heavy box at all in that game, nope. by the way, and they were stopping the run very well. It was yes. like 7% of snaps or something it like ridiculous. that. It was, I was shocked by it. All the teams that had, Titans did this, the, uh, the Bears did this, Commanders did this, and the Eagles love being, in, when they're in 12, with two tight ends, they love being in a hip slot formation, the YY wing. What's two tight ends on the same side. Two tight ends on the same side, and then A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith are both on the same side, or and on the same side. That gives a quarterback a nice indicator. Okay, man zone. It gives a If they're in too high, then the linebacker has to be out in space over A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith, which is not what you want. Or if they rotate down the single high, it's a safety on Devontae Smith or A.J. Brown. Again, that's an advantage for the offense. So I think that's what nickel does. Oh, we'll just have the nickel kick out there, and we can still be too high. And we can still run quarters or we rotate down the safety into the box, and then they kicks out the nickel over there. So I think that's what it was. That's my – watching the Colts is when I had this kind of light bulb moment. I was like, they're a nickel. Like, yeah. this is, I thought they'd be in big bodies and trying to beat them up, but no, they're just a nickel and doing this, and teams have had success, and it's a decent amount of sample size. So I'm curious if Spags leans into that. All right, here's bucket number two. Yeah. Now what happens when it's second and seven or third and eight? Because that, to me, is the biggest question on this side of the ball. How much heat do they bring in those moments? It's, so, starting the first point I want to bring up, this is the lowest rate that Spags has been blitzing since he's been a Chiefs defensive coordinator. This team, this Chiefs team overall. Lowest on first and second down, lowest on third and fourth down. But I think you do see the blitzes on first and second down. I think that's what it is, especially watching that Bengals They game. have done it more on early downs in the playoffs, like a 6% increase from where they were in the regular season. And what they do against the Bengals? Then did they blitz never on third and fourth? Never. Great word usage, Nate. <laughs> they didn't blitz a single time on third and fourth down like last week or two weeks ago. And that's super interesting to me because that's when, okay, you can't get that. I, I also watching uh, Hurts. Oh, yeah, you're, this is the point. I don't want to step on your toes here. But also watching Hurts and how he answers on third and fourth down against the blitzes. Oh, 
launch it away, and we're going to hit your go balls on you. So now you're making them kind of do more of the quarterbacky things, reading the blitz out. You might catch one of their running backs. They might not be in five-man protection where the running back's getting out. They actually don't do that too, too much. But also that puts the running backs in a bind. They're worried about getting out on the route or running the play action or whatever. So maybe their eyes aren't as good against the blitz on first and second down. So I think that's where they poke and prod. Uh, Hurts this year, especially he's not great against the blitz on first and second. He's 27th in EPA per drop back against the blitz on first and second down. 24th in success rate. That puts him at the same level as Kenny Pickett. If, if you want to kind he's of 17th in EPA per drop back against the blitz, period. This period. Year. So he's middle of the pack, but it's just worse on first and second down because third and fourth down, they... He, he's willing to launch it on third and fourth down. And that wasn't always the case. Correct. So early in the season, weeks one through six before the Eagles bye, Jalen Hurts was averaging 4.85 air yards per attempt against the Blitz. That was 31st among 31 quarterbacks. If, with if you want a game attempts. where this was happening, watch the Cardinals game. It's, it's, it's screen, 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 screen. <laughs> yes. And that's all they were doing when they were getting Blitz. So it was dead last in the NFL over the first six weeks. Weeks seven through 18 after their bye, 9.68 air yards per attempt, fifth among 39 quarterbacks over that stretch. It wasn't like 2 like 12. Yeah, it was, it was something it was ridiculous. ridiculous. But the same, it's the same mindset. That's exactly the same thing. I know, sorry, I don't want to interrupt your point, but that's the exact same mindset because they said, let's unpin that grenade and we're going to gas you. I know that's a better solution than the dinking and dunking was early in the year, but even going back and I watched every single blitz drop back he had over the last two games against the Giants mm-hmm. and the Niners. Even those, the outcomes were often fine. He just feels it looks uncomfortable. I I would bring pressure at him because I do think that their offense is inherently worse when he's in that mode and in that mindset. When you're speeding them up, even if there is that occasional chance of that go ball hitting you over the top, I want to make them play that way. And that's what teams have done all season against them. He is the highest blitz rate in the league on third down this season. It's like 40% of total dropbacks. And he's in the top five on third down. Teams have tried to do that to him. And the number I keep coming back to, and I think it's worth reminding people, we talked about this, I think, going into the Giants game. Yes. Second in the NFL in EPA per dropback yes. against man blitzes this season. I didn't was write Jalen this down because I knew you were He was 32nd of 33 quarterbacks against zone blitzes this yes. year. Chiefs aren't afraid to run some funky shit, man. Yeah. And they, I think they probably will. I, there was one clip I'm thinking of. Spags has every blitz in, in his wheelhouse. He really does. I, I'm not just making that up. He, he will lean into safeties coming, you know, bringing different guys a slot. There's one blitz because the Eagles will like to be in two-by-two with the off-tight end and everything. There's a blitz. It's called a Palms blitz, and it's it's a six-man protection beater. And they ran it against the Chargers in their Thursday night game a couple times. There's other clips. I'm sure they ran it, but that's the one I come back to. That is a six-man protection beater because it makes the running back wrong no matter what. Even if if it's five-man, you still got the guys coming. That's one blitz, and also it traps uh, what he likes to do. And Hurts will go to – the straight line answer, and it works for them most of the time. But this is what that blitz does. It makes quarterbacks make the hard throw because they trap. Answers are usually flats, you know, something over the middle. This blitz, okay, wow, it's too high. All right, I'm going to just throw a flat route here. And then there's the corner waiting or the out route waiting. And he almost got, he almost got Herbert with it, and Herbert's pretty astute with this stuff. So I think there's that blitz is you're going to see it. The other answer, like the Bengals, when they were, getting, like, they were the first and second down slot pressures and feigning it, they were throwing all the bubbles and flats that they like to do, which the Eagles also like to do. But that didn't really do anything. The, the Chiefs played it really well. They're a physical tackle. I want to make them do that. Yeah. I want to make them throw bubbles and flats Absolutely. against pressure looks. That, that's Blitz, not a good answer. Blitzing makes – uh, this is the best way I can sum it up. The 
blitzing makes the Eagles predictable. Yes, and it, it makes you. They are playing your game. Yes, and I think that's why I would choose to do it in those yeah. situations, especially first and second down. <laughs> One other note that I was actually really surprised by. So in my mind, it's like, okay, let's say there's a three-yard gain on first down. If, if the, the sequence is stop the run and then get them into these situations, what does second and seven actually look like yeah. for the Eagles? Where do you think the Eagles ranked in rushing attempts on second or seven and more this season? And I know this, but it's not that high. It's they were 22nd. Yeah. They had 60 runs on second and long this year. And you think of the Eagles as That's this run-heavy yeah. team. But when they get in those moments, they're an analytically-minded or, or yes. team. They know that you shouldn't run on second and long. How many freaking graphs have we seen out there about, oh, this is the best coach out there because they throw the ball on second and long. And in my mind, it was like, okay, well, we know they're going for it on fourth down, so do they see second and long as a rundown potentially because they think they have three shots to get those seven yards? The answer is no. They have not run the ball that much on second and seven. So if you can be really good on first down when they're going to run the ball and you can force them into fine passing situations and then you start to heat them up, what does that look like? And the other byproduct, in my opinion, of potentially sending some pressure, mostly the linebackers. We saw Nick Bolton walked up over yep. the center at times last game. How are you creating one-on-ones yes. for number 95? Because we've seen it so far. If you create those at this stage of the proceedings, he happen. can wreck the fucking game. He's good. been doing it a lot recently. Good things happen. I mean, those 5-0 That's looks. Chris Jones for people. Chris Jones, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the uh, guy not on the poster over there. I still, can't believe that. I still can't believe that. I know. But that, that's the that's the 5-0 looks and how they did it. Even if it's not blitzing, they, you still have to honor it. As an as a offensive line pass protection unit, 5-0, 5 is what they call it. And that means the five offensive linemen have the five guys in front of them. Anybody else that comes, the run back would have. They do it by doing the hug rush, which is what the Bucks have done. And a hug rush is Nick Bolton's lined up over the guard, and then at the snap of the ball, he has the running back and man coverage or in zone. If they're in zone, he has the quarters coverage over there, the flat, and he's covering them one-on-one. And it's just a way to kind of have show a blitz look without blitzing, and it's not that exotic. No, it's not it, exotic it, at no, all, but no. it gets everything done that you want it to. That's exactly it. it. It gets the answers in a nice, clean way. And that's – if you want Chris Jones, I mean – one of the guards, you, you have to pick one of them. Landon Dickerson, who even though he was a Pro Bowl, I think he will get tested. He's second in the NFL this year in offensive holding penalties. He's the one guy that has some mental – if there's a mental lapse happening with us offensive line, that's where it comes from. It's usually him, and it's not his fault. He's a young player, and I think that's what it is. That's If I were the Chiefs defensive staff, I'm not telling Steve Spagnuolo what to do, So, but I'm just saying this. That's my Huckleberry. I think I would attack him with games and other things and maybe not test them and see how they pass it off. My one other big question on this side of the ball, what is the plan for A.J. Brown? Yeah. Okay, so we saw Jamar Chase get double teamed a lot in that game. We also saw Jamar Chase get pressed a lot in that yes. game. Forty, The Chiefs run press coverage more than pretty much any other team in the league. They've done that under Spags, and they do it against really good receivers. If you look at some of the guys they played against this year, Mike Evans, yeah. Devontae Adams, all these guys, they pressed Chase on 60% of snaps That's last ridiculous. week. Okay? So, but the problem is... You know what A.J. Brown's yards per route run was this season it's against like, press it's coverage? Like absurd, it was it? 4.5. Tyreek Hill led the league at like 3.1. That was, was like, the best number in 10 years. <laughs> yes. So A.J. Brown had the best yards per route run against press coverage in the next-gen stats era this season. Oh my God. And now he's playing against a team that presses people more than anyone. That so that's it. a who's going to blink first kind of moment. I like that. that that's a great point. And the Colts game was interesting to me because they, you know, it's Gus Bradley. He still has some of that Legion boom in him. And so they're pressing and staying on the top. It's not a physical press. It's more like 
give presence and stay on the top. And the Eagles answer, I know we're talking about A.J. Brown, was, okay, we're going to throw stop routes to Devontae Smith. <laughs> well, this, so that's my question yeah, good now. Good luck. Depending on what the plan is for A.J. Brown, if yep. they're going to double him in the same yes. way they did with Jamar Chase, what sort of opportunities does that create for Devontae Smith? That's a great point. The Yes, I think that's where the Bengals carryover comes, especially on passing downs from that game, is, okay, when – Let's talk about one thing first. Okay, the, what, the, what the Bengals were doing, or sorry, the Chiefs were doing against the Bengals, they're doubling Chase, they're doubling the slot, thinking Tyler Boyd would be healthy the whole game and not Trent Irwin <laughs> uh, running out to there. What are you about Trent Irwin? Uh, yeah, no, he's, he's actually a pretty, he's a pretty nice player, actually. And, but they were saying, okay, those are two weapons, especially on third and fourth down, and we're going to have Watson or whoever the outside corner is to the field they're going to be on Higgins, and they're going to use the sideline as that 12th defender. That's where you saw T. Higgins dunk on them, uh, but that, that's just the game you're playing. You're pressing them, you're trying to be physical, and you're trying to make it hard. You're trying to make the room for error very, very small. I think they're trying to live for that go-ball world and saying, that's the coin flip we're trying to win. We're going to the tables. We're going to hope we hit this bet. And there's one part about this Chiefs defense that surprised me about defending throws to the outside. Since their bye week, again, it's always going to be after the bye week with these stats, they're the best team in the NFL defending outside they're for so us. physical and i think that really carries over they're using the sideline as an extra defender yeah. they're making those throws hard on people yes. that's what this they want to do that's they what do. they've always wanted to that's do. what they do and it's we're going to blitz you make you think and then okay we're going to make you th- okay fine we'll live with it sometimes the Bengals gash you for play after play after play on go balls when you're trying to press us that happens but sometimes you go 0 for 5 on them and then it's three and out three and out three and out and then all of a sudden we're down 21 nothing but I, this is the stat i want to say the Chiefs are first in success rate on outside throws, first and first downs per attempt, sixth in de- defensive EPA per play, seventh in explosive play rate. They're fine living this. They're like, they want you to throw outside. And I want to live like this. Yes. Uh, the, the game that would scare me the most if I were the Chiefs would be going back and watching the Giants game. Yeah. And watching them play against the Giants in the playoffs, that's, I can't get that version of the Eagles out of my head and kind of what scares the Chiefs potentially. The Eagles just played ball control. Mm-hmm. You watch the first half of that game, it's 4.2 air yards per attempt, 2.2 average time to throw, 47% play action rate for Jalen Hurts. It's just all RPOs and run game. And we're just going to play keep away and just kind of own this yep. game. And I, the Chiefs' defense is better than the Giants. The Chiefs' linebackers are better than the Giants. <laughs> that is a red circle around Jalen Smith and Jared Davis' game plan. But I still think those ideas yep. – could apply to the way I'd want to play if I were the Eagles here. Absolutely. If I were the Chiefs, I'd want to force them out of that into that more high-variance game yeah. where you're dictating how they're going about things. No, it's a great point. It's so With this, this Eagles team, I love the ball control stuff, and that's where I'm curious because you're going against Mahomes. And, you know, that's the other side. We're talking about team ball, and these guys have two weeks to think of it. What if Mahomes rips off a couple drives on you? You don't have one of those – drives because we were going for all the underneath stuff and they defended one pass and then they knock you down on third on third and ten all of a sudden it's a two-yard check down and okay so we can't do our QB sneak play we can't do any of this fourth down stuff we want to do and we're punting the ball back to Mahomes and now it's 10 nothing okay right now okay that's fine it's fine but that game script can we get scary you always have to have that in the back of your mind they haven't had to face that yet yeah truly that's right but and they also haven't had to face Patrick freaking Mahomes also as well but that it's interesting because that, what, what was happening in that Bengals game? Sorry, I keep coming back to this because it is interesting to me is when they were doubling that slot stuff, I first was like, oh, okay, well, okay, you can't put Chase in the slot. You can't do anything. I think sometimes the Eagles, too, will put A.J. Brown in the slot. They'll put Devontae Smith in the slot. 
just to move those guys around. AJ Brown's in the slot. He's not getting the ball. Which it, is so weird. So Because it, it's usually the exact opposite for your number one receiver. And that's some of the, the 12 personnel stuff with the hip slot. And it's all flats. It's all the same ones. It's like RPOs. But <laughs> there's <laughs> AJ Brown has 18 targets on 151 slot routes. So that, I, I can't even describe to you how that, wild that is. Their tar- that target share is 104th out of 112 players that have 100 or more slot routes. Uh, so 35% of those targets were at or behind the line of scrimmage. The one, those are the same rates as Debo Samuel, Devin Duvernay, McCole Hardman, all jet sweep guys. Devontae Smith, though, and this is what I'm key. So I'm kind of just making up my own point here, but Devontae Smith's aligned the slot 21% of the time. He has 47 targets on 150 slot routes, 153. His Right now, his target share at 30.7% is the highest in the league of anybody. It's Devontae Smith, Tyreek Hill, Amon, Amon Ross St. Brown, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. So if he's in the slot, it's Woo, woo, alarm bells going off a million times because that he's getting the ball. They want him the ball. And how they do it, and the, and the Colts game was a good example of this. The uh, Bears game was a great example of this when they are trying to hit some buttons was they put Devontae Smith in the slot. They went empty. So they have the running back to his side. They hide him in the slot. And actually, Jalen Hurts made a couple throws. He threw a dig to Devontae Smith that he took and ran, uh, ran ball for a big gain. He has to make a couple of those throws because that's the Spags is going to be in quarters. Those are the ways you attack. You saw Jamar Chase catch a couple digs early on last week. That's what he has to throw over and over, and that's why the outside throwing point is such a big point because he throws a lot to the outside. I think he's top five, I think, in outside throws, throws outside the numbers. And he's more in the bottom half of the league throwing over the middle of the field. So he's gonna, they're going to make him throw a couple throws over the middle of the field. I think it's going to be some dig routes. Are you ready on the other side of the ball? Yeah, let's do it. Number one question for you when the Chiefs have the ball in this game. Where are you starting? Wow. What does the run game look like? What, that <laughs> is not where I would start. That's why you're so special, buddy. I love you. All right, lay it on me. I don't uh, have a single note about the Chiefs run game. In oh, here notes, we go. Because I knew you would do this. Perfect. And that, that's perfect. Let's see, we know each other. I know how to play. I didn't look up the one stat about the zone blitz <laughs> stuff because I knew you would have it. So it's great. Um, just like... Uh, well, I talked about the other side with the Chiefs defense. You look after the bye week. For a lot of the Eagles stuff, I looked past week 11 when they signed those defensive tackles, Joseph and Sue, because they kind of changed what they did, especially in the run. They ran more five down fronts uh, to kind of stop the run because you could kind of cash them a little bit if you had to run, run the ball against them. They're more fine than overwhelming as a defensive rush unit, even though their numbers are very good. But if you look at past week 11, when they go into heavy personnel, when they're facing heavy personnel, 12 and 13, they're 15th in success rate. So they drop from a top five-ish unit to middle of the pack. That matters. And we are looking for all these type of things. Uh, we're looking for any advantages. Also, if you can get this Eagles team to match with base, uh, you, you guys hear me talk about this all the time, but sub and base. But if you get this Eagles team to match with base, you get Hassan Reddick out in space. Because now he's, remember he's designated as a linebacker? Yeah. <laughs> that's where you remember that he's designated as a linebacker as far as position. So I think that's where you see is maybe going into those heavier personnel looks to run straight run concepts, maybe sprinkle in some RPOs because of how the Eagles play with such a zone-heavy coverage. Um, it could sometimes be two, sometimes be quarters, six, three, but whatever it is, those RPO runs and, and pass plays, maybe see some slants from the slot when they're in two tight end sets. Um, I think that's where you see it. The one formation that I keep coming back to, and I think in my mind, is last year, last week against the Bengals, the Chiefs were getting in 13. They're motioning Kelsey to the slot, and they ran and pass out of this look. So they created a 12-personnel look out of 13. 
but it, you could see the Bengals defense kind of go, oh, shit, aren't we supposed to double Kelsey? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, wait, we're in 13. They're in 13. Uh, we're in base. We can't do what we want. Same thing. And I think that's the, getting kind of into the heavier personnel lookings and spreading out the pass, but also getting tight when they get into certain kind of looks. They get to that five down front. I think it, by being predictable in those five down fronts, the Chiefs and Andy Reid will know what type of runs to get to. I was talking to the Chiefs offensive line coach earlier this week and was asking him, I was like, is there anything that the Eagles do to kind of create those one-on-ones that you think is particularly yep. interesting? And he's kind of like, no. And I was like, that's kind of a curt answer. <laughs> and then I went back and I literally watched every single sack that the Eagles had this season. All 70 of them from I the regular season. That. Okay, It's like a game's worth. Games NFL games typically about 60 to 70 that's plays. That's what it was. So, yeah. It took me a couple hours. <laughs> so I went back and I watched this. Okay, They had 70 sacks. The Eagles had 51 sacks on non-blitzes this year, which is eight more than any other team in the NGS era. Even that in next-gen stats, even that number is skewed though because of the five-down stuff that yes. you're talking about. Okay, so of the 70 sacks that the Eagles had this year, 61 of them did not involve a second-level player blitzing or coming after the quarterback That's or rushing crazy. the passer. 61 of them. Of those nine. One was a throwback pass against the Cowboys. One was a botched fake field goal. One was another botched throwback against the Giants. One was a kind of sort of play against the Cardinals where one, one of the linebackers was really just occupying someone. And so really there was like five. They had like five sacks all year of their 70 where it was a product of them blitzing a second-level defender. So all they do is they either create 5-0 fronts to create one-on-ones or – They'll play with two, three techniques or just do some other thing to create one-on-ones. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Their entire defensive plan in terms of getting after the passer is our guys are better than your guys. Okay? They generally are. And they are. <laughs> okay. So among the 149 linebackers in the NFL this season, here are where the Eagles linebackers ranked in pass rush percentage, a okay. percentage of their snaps where they blitzed. Kaiser White was 140th of 149. Nicobe Dean was 145th of 149. And TJ Edwards was 146th of 149. They don't they blitz their linebackers. No. They blitz, but it's with the five guys you know are coming. Yes. So you know which guys are going to be coming after the quarterback, and it still doesn't matter. That's it. That's wild. That's talent. <laughs> and the one other trickle-down effect that I thought was really interesting from that, the Eagles this season, they, had, they faced 534 dropbacks against five pass blockers, okay. which was the second most in the NFL. So and they faced only 88 against six pass blockers, second fewest. So you know when you're playing the Eagles, the back is getting out yep. because he doesn't have to be in protection to worry about a blitzing linebacker because they don't blitz their linebackers. So all of these different little levers that get pulled because mm -hmm. of how the Eagles play, they're predictable, yeah. and they still don't really matter it's, because the players are so good. And that's so frustrating. Do you, you want to talk about frustrations? This I've talked about this before, but the Seahawks defense, the Legion of Boom teams, you knew what they were running every single time. It did not matter. They were You had beaters, cover three beaters, and it didn't matter. That's what the Eagles defense sometimes feels like. The stat, I looked this up because I was looking at the Chiefs, the Chiefs are fourth in pressure percentage with only four pass rushers. The Eagles are first, and it's like by far. Yeah. <laughs> it's like not even close. They get, they, how many an, uh, analysts, how many people say, you know, what's the key to the game? They all go, got to get after the quarterback with four pass rushers. And it's like they actually do it. Both of these teams actually do it. The Eagles do it more so. Um, but, no, that's, a, that's just such a great point because 
That's why in the run game it can be predictable because, okay, I can get to this run, I can get this run. You can get a schematic advantage because you go, okay, these might see some outside runs. The Packers were getting them with pin pulls where they would, uh, Lazard was cracking down on Reddick on these looks. Well, that's predictable, but you'll, if you pass against it, you still have to hold up and win. So that's the whole mental and physical type of thing. And when you have a lot of talent, that's why they can do it. My question about the getting five guys out in the route and the fact that they always seem to against the Eagles, does that mean we get more Pacheco and less McKinnon because they're not as worried about their backs and protection? And that's a great call. So I'm wondering about that because he is a, he can hurt you as a receiver yes. in space because he's very good in space yep. after catching the ball. We saw that last week. So are they going to try to get him the ball in some of those moments because they're not worried about him in protection? I think that's a great call. But the other thing is, all right, if we know the five guys who are coming, one of those guys, those five guys that we know about is Hassan Reddick. So my big question here is, what is the plan? What is the plan for Hassan Reddick? And the reason I'm so interested in this is because it's the Chiefs. Yeah. For some other teams, I wouldn't really care because they wouldn't necessarily have a specific plan yes. for this guy. But you go back and you watch this Chiefs team and Andy Reid teams against really, really good pass rushers. Go watch them against the Niners this year. Yeah when they played against Nick Bosa and go watch the dozen little strategies they had to make the game on hard, make the game hard on Nick Bosa. Jet sweeps his way, cracks his way, uh, leaving him unblocked on certain plays, lining up a tight end just to flash some color in his face, chipping him consistently. Do they have a similar plan for Hassan Reddick? Is it chips? Is it like the Packers would do where they'd put two tight ends to his side to widen him out and make his path a little bit further to the quarterback? Right. Do we see, even with... McCole Hardman out, Kadarius Toney on some of those jet sweeps that we saw against the Niners and Nick Bosa. What is the plan for him? And if you can kind of neutralize him, do the Eagles have enough in those other one-on-ones that are then created to consistently hurt you? The answer so far this season has been yes. It's why they're so scary. Yeah. Because even if you're double teaming or sending extra attention Reddick's way, you're still leaving three one-on-ones for Sweat, Hargrave, and Brandon Graham every once in a while. Yep. The Brandon Graham being an 11-sack guy is like a quietly important part of who yep. this team is. No matter who they seem to trot out at those four spots, they have guys that can win those one-on-ones Sweat, that are created. Just all these guys, Quinn. It's unbelievable watching different – because there's so many times I'm watching it, I'm like, who's that – this guy's looking really good. I was like, oh, yeah, it's Robert Quinn. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a pretty good player. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. And Javon Hargrave. Like, yeah. Just like the amount of just dudes they have that can wreck you as pass rushers is that's, fucking ridiculous. That's it's like, okay, Brandon Graham, you're going against it. Like, okay, tight end's trying to block him. And it's like, it's Brandon Graham. Like, that's not like an easy block for a tight end. But he's been really good this yes. year. Really, really good. As a rotational piece, obviously, like, but he's been really good. They, they have the perfect amount of snaps for him at, the, at his age. But I love that point you're bringing up about how this is where the creativity and the the intelligence of Andy Reid. I'm still I'm still getting genius out of my my lexicon. It's a good so, move. It's a good so move. I know because I, I, I yeah I hate that guru and genius. Never want to use that. But that is where that's where he comes into play because he has everything. He has the grab bag of what he wants to use. Yeah. I know when I was with the Raiders, we played Von Miller. We played a few really good pass rushers. The Titans had a few guys, um, Arakpo and stuff. And but against Von Miller and that Denver's de- that Broncos defense was. You always had to account for him. And Andy Reid, if you ever look at his call sheet, he has every situation on there and every you know specific thing. We had the same thing. We only could run formations one way because we want to have the chip help over here. We want to have the back over here. We had plays that we had like a package of plays when he's off the field and we could run these six, seven, eight plays. I think they do the exact same thing. And Andy Reid's, of course, going to have that. You brought up all those examples. 
we probably will see a little bit of everything, especially with the tight ends. I think I can't emphasize all the those tight, tight ends. The tight ends are so easy to predict yes. because they want to live in 11 and 12 personnel, so it's not out of character for them right. to put those multiple tight ends on the field and create that it's not, width. It's not like they're, yeah, they're not reinventing the wheel. They've already done There's already so proof of concept. That's how they want to play. <laughs> there's a proof of concept with it. And also with just like, so it's 12, 13 looks, and I'm kind of like mixing up two points here, but why I wanted to bring up that one formation putting Kelsey into the slot this is what the Packers kept doing to, to the Eagles' defense. They were getting into pony. With, Chiefs don't do this. But they were getting into pony with two running backs and a tight end. The Eagles were matching with their five down fronts, but it was putting, they would spread out the formation and go in split backs. And then Reddick's like, well, shit, I'm out in space. I, I, I got to cover a bubble here. And that's what exactly what we would do against Von Miller. It's the, it's the game plan that we've referred to a few times, the Shanahan game plan against those Broncos in 2016 when he was with the Falcons. Same thing, getting the 13 personnel with three tight ends and spreading it out. So I think that's the other thing, too, is that empty is going to be their friend. And I think getting into heavy personnel and getting into empty will be their friend. The Chiefs are fourth in success rate. They run empty a top 10 rate. And the Eagles, the, the Cowboys exploited this, aren't great defending out of empty. That was one way you kind of make them basic. 15th in EPA per dropback against empty this season. Yes. And the one, uh, why, my takeaway when I wrote the article on that was actually the Eagles should blitz when they face empty because they were like super successful when they blitz and everything else they were just getting gashed. So that's where I see the Mahomes kind of nickel and dime fest. Heavy looks. We got three tight ends, but Noah Gray's in the slot. Kelsey's the X, and Blake Bell's the actual tight end. And that's how they kind of manipulate. You, they, they hold the pen last in this instance. That's where they can kind of manipulate what the Eagles are going to do. So the empty thing, I think there's a couple of layers to it. They faced the second most empty snaps in the NFL this season. The Eagles did. The only team that saw more was the Vikings, Vikings right? And I yeah. think that's because teams think they can take advantage of it. Same th same coverage shells. That's, yeah, that's, that's what it that's is. Exactly, because you want to break it apart. Yep. You want to break it apart and just give yourself a little bit Space. more information. So this, this I found interesting. This is a pretty high number. Against empty this season, the Eagles played cover three on 61.1% of snaps, which is the third highest rate in the league. If you can get into a formation that gives you a 60% chance that a team is going to play a coverage, that's pretty good. Yes. And then the one other little, and then so again, just kind of getting into this is the way the Chiefs want to play. Chiefs are eighth in the number of their empty dropbacks this season. Yep. Like less as the season progressed, but they're totally comfortable being in totally. this world. So it's it, one more bit of overlap. There's one specific play that multiple teams hit the Chiefs on this year out of empty. Cowboys did it. Washington did it. You're in empty. Three receivers to the right side, two receivers to the left side. Your number one receiver is at the number three spot. Mm -hmm. And you just run a little slant from that space. There's, there's an ocean of yes. space there when you're in that exact formation. C.D. Lamb hit it. McLaurin hit it. I would be shocked if we don't see that exact play at least once, maybe multiple times in this game from the Chiefs, yeah. where you're just putting that number three receiver into space right there. It's the balloon route. That's what it is, because the balloon can go anywhere. So <laughs> Travis Kelsey does that anyways <laughs> when he's route running, <laughs> is that he can go any which way and ad-lib some things, but that's a designed ad-lib if they put Kelsey there. But even if you put you know, one of your secondary guys there, that's another way to hide it and throw like Tony, another. whatever. Yep, just, Tony, like, oh, just get the guy ball in his space. hands. Yep. Just, because it's guaranteed. CeeDee Lamb, they got, and it was, I was just say gash him with, but they're peppering him with it. Five, six yard gains, five, six yard gains. I think that's what this game's kind of, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of five, six yard gains in this game, even with the, how explosive these offenses could be. The number one question for me is, can they protect? And yep. can they, what's the plan for Redding? Because I think if the answer is yes, we can protect, I think the Chiefs believe they can get him. I think so too. The Eagles were 12th this season in EPA per dropback when they did not get pressure. Okay, And here are a couple specific things that I feel like the Chiefs can lean into to get some answers against the Eagles in some of those looks. Okay, 
I, I was talking to somebody on the staff this week, and I was like, who'd you watch? Yeah. You know, because they didn't play that many good quarterbacks. So where did you look for some ideas? And the one team that came up was we watched the Dallas game. And so I went. Dak Prescott's a good quarterback. Dak Prescott is a good quarterback. <laughs> so I went back and I watched the Cowboys game, yeah. and there were a couple of things that they did. The empty thing was the number yes. one thing that I noticed. The other one is they would go three by one and just flood one side of the yeah. field with a lot of vertical routes. And so you've seen, again, this is another overlap. The Chiefs are running tons of flood concepts and four strong Love concepts it. against the Bengals. So it's one more way where, all right, if you're going to play zone, we've talked about this, and you want to be balanced. Let's make you unbalanced. Yes. So let's play three by one and kind of go vertical, clear out some space, and then attack those areas. Washington did this pretty well. Washington had some really good ideas against they, them oh, on that's, offense. That's the story of Scott Turner. Scott Washington. Turner being a passing consultant for the oh, Raiders, Raiders is the perfect With job the run for him. Game they have it is the perfect job it's for him because he's creative but sound. So it's a perfect combo. <laughs> the Eagle, the Cowboys were doing really, really well, getting vertical out of three by one and kind of throwing the ball yeah. to that side and. That's when Reed Blankenship was starting, yeah. so that's one thing that is, is changed a little bit. I know. That, but that was one of them where it's like, okay, if they can do some damage where they're really flooding that side. And I think MVS runs 15 miles in this game. Stretch, I think stretch, that stretch, he's stretch. just going to be a clear-out guy consistently where oh. because the Eagles' corners will like to turn and run, yes. Slay especially. So can you get him to turn and run and clear out that side and attack with flood concepts behind it? That's a great point. I, I think that we could see a decent amount of that. And then the other thing, and my kind of counter to that, if you're Philadelphia, is if they know that and they're going to try to make you unbalanced and do that kind of stuff, do you play more man? Right. And they, oh. Did you see any games where they kind of did that? I don't did, do no. you, I, I, I mean, don't. That's what I mean. That, so that's why in this whole discussion here we go, no, the Chiefs have done this. The Eagles' offense has done this. But it's when you haven't seen a proof of concept, it's kind of hard to, like, do they go away from what's the – but one who brought him here. My my feeling is you're worried about Kelsey, right? Yeah. But everyone else, they're banged up. Yes. They don't have the guys. Yep. You have the corners. It almost seems like wasting your outside corners in zone coverage against this version of the yeah. Chiefs team isn't the best use of your resources. Right. Right. And like, what's the weakness of the the Eagles defense typically when we say it's the linebackers or yes. the middle of the field? Okay. Well, if Kelsey's there, yeah, and if the receivers are on the outside, but then. That's the thing. It's like, okay, but they're going to just pepper Kelsey over and over and over, just like they did against the Jacks, where they just boom, 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 over and over, 12 catches, wherever you have 14 catches. No, that's a great point because I think that the one concept I can remember that the Chiefs used to spam, they spammed this a lot in 2020, was they would go one by three with Kelsey as the lone receiver, the X. They would motion the back strong, create that four strong, and I called it spacing or a high-low. They would go super spacing, four strong. Now everyone kind of does it. Washington does it a ton too. You ISO Kelsey. And it's a, it's a win route. He can run three routes. He can run a slant, he can run an out, or he can run a go. And they're signaling all doing all that stuff. So if he likes the one-on-one, -on -one, if he thinks, hey, he's got a size advantage, let him post up on Bradbury or something like that or Slay. And Okay, that's an answer too. But then the other answer is, oh, okay, I don't like that. I got four strong working against yeah. five defenders, which is always an advantage for the offense, even though it doesn't sound like that. But I think that is a great point is I think we do see a lot of those four strongs. It's a zone-heavy team. How you beat zone is you flood it. That, and, that's the simplest answer. And so do they know that? And do they say teams have played man against the Chiefs this year and they've carved it up, but they've carved up zone too. Yes. So it's not like, ah, it's one really Both offenses are way. pick your poison. Yes, that's what it they is. absolutely are. <laughs> they and just get there in a different way. There's one more very, very specific thing I wanted to mention yeah. on this side of the ball. It's very silly, okay? It only happened like three or four times this season. and But they only it only happened against them like a dozen times all year. 
The Eagles were the best play-action defense in the NFL this year. Yeah. Number one in EPA per dropback. They destroyed people. They were 20th in EPA per dropback on play-action throws to running backs. Mm. Okay? And the wh- Todd Gurley. <laughs> so they, the Cowboys hit them on this twice. Yeah. And then Aaron Jones had a 20-yard screen yes. that he caught in the same game. And why I think that's possible against the Eagles is they do a great job, T.J. Edwards specifically, when you run play-action against them, he gets tons of depth. He just turns and runs. So if you're trying to hit traditional crossing routes off play-action against the Eagles, they do a very consistent job of taking those away. But if he's going to turn and run out of that space, there's an ocean of space underneath. So if you want to leak a running back out into the flat and try to hit them in all of that space, teams have done that to them this year. So that's like one very little specific nugget that I've seen teams do against Philly multiple times this season. It makes sense because, again, they're in zone, and that's how they have to do it. If you clear it out, it's there. Teams have to carry the over or they have to cut the over. That's Traditionally in play action, there's an over and a post route on it, some combination, some change-ups off of that. But that traditionally, that's what the Chiefs run. That's also why I think – I, on our gambling show with uh, producer Beller, is I also am on Noah Gray overs just for this reason. Because Noah Gray overs, oh, you're a sick man. Because I can see some you know heavy personnel, and he catches one of those overs or a sail route in a flood concept, something of that sort. But I do think that's a great, great, great call uh, because just for that reason. Clear it out, and this is just simple. And Mahomes can sit there, and Mahomes is comfortable. Okay, one, two, three, check it down, create all that space. He did it a few times last week. He does it every What's week. Pacheco's receiving over under? What we know. got, Bauer? 16. I'm taking the over there. Yeah. McKinnon's like 20. So, yeah. But you, I like, I'm, taking, I, I'm taking the Pacheco I like, over on the I like your, I'm over on his rushing, too. But I loved your line of thinking there that, well, they're not so worried, so McKinnon doesn't see as many reps. I like that line of thinking because that's Pacheco's weakness. He's not a great protection. That, that's back. my best bet. Pacheco, I like Pacheco I like receiving that. over. I can't wait until it doesn't hit. My last little tidbit is, you know, of course, Mahomes has the ankle injury. And, you know, but it's four weeks now, right? Four, three, three, four, uh, that, since he's injured it. Uh, it's a little bit better. High ankle sprains would usually take six weeks to get to 100%. Is him as a scrambler. The, you know, he's a very successful scrambler. You can see that. Just the same line of thinking. Everyone pushes. Well, what if they're onto that where they push back and play action sometimes can open up stuff for as a scrambler? The Eagles are one of the worst teams defending scramblers, uh, scrambles. Uh, all that match stuff. They're, all, they're, yeah. of it, all of it because their eyes are on the receivers, and they have to pass things off. They're 28th in success rate against scrambles. The Lions, Browns, Cardinals, or Raiders are the only teams that are worse. Not really the kind of group you want to be in. That's not the company you want to keep. (laughs) Um, So I think that's what it is, is that Mahomes as a scrambler, of course, he always does this, especially in high leverage moments. But you might see a couple of those peppered back in, especially maybe if they do go man, maybe we see that too. High ankles do suck, but it is a couple more weeks of rest that he's had. And you hope that we'll see how how healthy Hurts is. If they want to run him, if they feel comfortable doing that with the same volume that they had at other points of the season. So important injuries to important players worth mentioning yes. okay so now onto the kicker battle no uh <laughs> but honestly, the one other thing yeah. I, the one thing injury wise though think that's worth bringing up is how healthy are the yes. chiefs receivers because that's really the only other injury concern in this game lane johnson Hartman's not playing well lane johnson we've seen you know, I know like, that's, that's just, the thing it's yeah. like when you watch him and it's like maddox. you're hurt <laughs> the other one is maddox yes. so now with maddox being back how about and, him in that cowboys game before he got hurt and, and oh that, my god so having him back and yeah. so he played a handful of snaps yeah. last game so having him back and then allowing 
Gardner Johnson to be that other safety and yes. not again the Reed Blankenship thing came up over and over again in that yes. Cowboys game. So did the Josiah Scott thing. Yes. So that was the one team we think is a good quarterback that took advantage of the Eagles. They did it when Josiah Scott and Reed Blankenship were playing. Yeah. So it's just so hard to find examples of teams taking advantage of the Eagles' pass defense this season. And I've like oh, my sample size only only starts in Week 11 too. So it's like okay, I'm really scraping the barrel here trying to extrapolate anything from here. But no, Devontae Maddox stuff, and he was my I think the ex factor a key to the game last week in the AFC championship game or NFC championship game sorry is just because of that he makes them go from a pretty poor defending uh, routes out of the slot to one of the best I think the best team defending slot routes so that matters so much especially if you're worried about Kelsey being at the number three or the number two spot out there all right it is time for the Visa Game Changing Moment, presented by Visa, proud sponsor of Super Bowl 57. Let's talk about some game-changing players, potentially, in this game. Who are your X-Factors on each side of the ball in Super Bowl 57, my friend? For the Chiefs, and I kind of hinted at this, it's Justin Reed. And I could say either of the Chiefs' safeties, but they are... People keep talking about the linebackers. I think it's more that what the Eagles do is manipulate the safeties and get them involved in the run and getting back into the pass, playing the posts and everything. Justin Reed played fantastic in the playoffs so far. Yes, he's had a couple up-and-down moments. I am a, I really like him as a player. He's a really good tackler, which matters in a game where they're going to have to tackle. Those safeties are going to have to fit up in the run some way, shape, or form, especially since Spags likes to play so much quarters. And that's when if you're a quarters, a too-high defense, the safeties have to get involved in the run game. Luckily, they have, they, luckily they have a couple guys that can do it. So that's, that's, the, that's where I think him – Having a big game doesn't have to be the sexiest game. Doesn't have to be a turnover, but just shoring up and limiting stuff to two, three yard gains. And I think he can do that. But that's my expected for the Chiefs. I had a run game factor as well there. Mine's Derek Nottie. No, oh, nice. if you're yes. trying to create those one on ones against the guards and you're isolating them with the way that you're playing your fronts, yeah. the teams that we've seen give them a hard time. That other tackle that's not the three technique, that run stuffing tackle, has been a huge part of it. Yeah. Kalen Saunders is the other one. Yeah, too. The whatever, fire, those the guys. No, no, the but Kalen they, Saunders, they, they the Derek to. Naughty guys, like, and not Mike Dana, just the guys that weigh more than 250 yes. that are put in those situations, can they consistently win those battles with Salomao or, or Dickerson? Because yeah. the teams that have done that, and I don't usually think about that in, the, in run defense, yeah. like can the defensive tackles win against the guards? But teams that have played that way yep. against the Eagles have really had an advantage, and they've really <laughs> – it's can been they, important. Can they trade for Grover Stewart? Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. There's a there's a Badger real quick. We're going to get ahead on draft draft stuff right now. Keanu Benton, and this guy has a nose tackle, and he blew up the Senior Bowl. I, I, I pat myself on the back because I, I think this guy's a first-rounder. Make this guy a chief. Putting this guy <laughs> with Chris Jones would be, oh, my God, just like one of the most disgusting parents we've ever seen. But sorry, yes, get ahead on Who's draft your numbers. Eagles guy? This one's tough. Um, TJ Edwards was my first thought, but I am going to go with Devontae Smith. I, I do think it's a big Devontae Smith game. Uh, I, I think they, the, the Chiefs are smart. They love to the double. Spags will do double coverage. He'll do where both safeties are doubling guys. He did it against the Bengals in the playoffs last year. He's done it throughout his whole career. So I, I think no matter what, A.J. Brown's going to get those doubles. And so it's how big of a game Devontae Smith's going to be. All the other third receivers or third players um, outside Dallas Goddard, they don't get targeted. If you look at, like, targets per snap, if you look at – you know, uh, yards per route run and all that, first downs. 
Pascal, Quez Watkins, Jack Stoll, they're all like bottom 10. They don't get, they're not on the field to catch the ball. Yes, Quez Watkins has a touchdown against the Colts and all that was nice and pretty, but I think it's going to be a huge Devontae Smith game. I'm on all of his overs for this reason uh, specifically, but that's what I think. He's going to get some one-on-one opportunities, and I do think he has the ability to make the most of it. Mine's just what? Love it. They're going to be ha- sending all that extra help. I was wondering why you didn't bring up his name earlier. So that <laughs> They're going to be sending all that extra help yeah. to Reddick's way, yeah. and they're going to be like, we got Wiley on Reddick. Like, yes. We need to help him consistently. Is Josh Sweat going to be getting one-on-ones against Orlando Brown the entire game? And if he is, can he consistently win those one-on-ones? Right. Oh, man, that's, that's actually – God, I, I've done all this diving and turning over every stone. I haven't even thought about the Sweat-Orlando Brown matchup because that's actually going to be like a really fun one. It's, like, it's, it's, they, it's, the, Chiefs, the Eagles, in my opinion, need to win that if they're yeah, going to win the game because that's the big question. If they, if they can get home, I think they can win this game. Yes. If they can't and the Chiefs can hold up in protection, then I think it's going to be a long day. Yeah, I agree. Who wins? I'm going with the Chiefs. Shocking. I know. I, uh, <laughs> I had an emotional hedge in the AFC Championship game, playing both sides there, having all the Chiefs privately and then publicly saying the Bengals there. But I, I'm sticking there with my Super Bowl pick. Uh, Mahomes was my MVP pick. They've played that way. I think this defense has gotten underrated, and I think that's, that's actually more than their offense because their offense doesn't get theirs. There hasn't really been a team that slows them down. We talked about Luana Rumo and all that. They were still churning it on them in the games that they lost against them. It's not like they had a poor game. Every time, it hasn't been the offense. And I think don't think this defense is that type of explosive uh, um, chaos maker of a defense that's like, oh, wow, this can be high variance. Yes, they have the front and everything, but as far as blitzing and all that. So I think that because that Chiefs defense is a little better than people are getting them credit for, they'll keep them in the game. I think the Chiefs, and they pull it out in the end, they kind of run away, not run away with it, but kind of control it at the end. I'm going with the Eagles. Love it. Finally. I, I just disagreement. I think it's going to be such a close game. It's going to be awesome I, I think game. it's going to be an awesome game. I just keep coming back to the Eagles always having an answer, yes. depending on what you do to them defensively. They've always been able to figure out what's the one button we can keep pushing. And I just think you combine that with the pass rush, and if you have a couple of those one-on-ones that you win, I think it's a really, really close game. I think it's, it's like 27-24. That's exactly I'm, <laughs> That's my prediction. I literally wrote 27-24, but that's exactly where I'm going with, too. I think it's a three-point game either way. Awesome. Yeah, I know. this Guys, this game's going to be awesome. This is why we do it, man. This, this, is, this is why you do it. This is why we do 18 live Sunday shows. This is <laughs> why we do it. We're going to be at the Super Bowl. Yes, we Me are. We're going to be at the Super Bowl. This, I broke my promise to myself. I would never go to a Super Bowl unless I or my, my dad was in it. If you can't notice, I said this joke on the Beller Show, but don't worry, is that this athletic logo is behind me for anyone watching this video. So obviously I'm not in the league anymore, and my dad's retired. So I can go to the Super Bowl You're now. a member of the media now. <laughs> so with that in mind, we're not sure how it's going to go after the Super Bowl. Just like full disclosure with everybody, okay? So we <laughs> we're thumbs up. We are going right to now. we are going to want to do uh, our live show from the stadium in the same way we would otherwise. Either way, we are going to have a recap podcast for you. So bear with us during the game. We will keep you updated on how it's going to look, but we will have our Super Bowl recap coming to you from State Farm Stadium, which is a little bit of a different setup than the one we have at our home offices. So we're very, very excited about that. Thank you to everyone for just a fantastic season. We had so much fun. Thank you for spending all of this time with us. I mean, so many people came up to us this week and just were so you know appreciative and 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 really kind about the show and yeah. um, it's always nice to know that it just doesn't go out into the ether and that people actually like it and listen to it. So uh, thank you guys so so much. We had a great time. We're going to continue to have a great time this weekend in Arizona and we cannot wait for this fucking game, man. Can't it wait. is going to be something else. 
In the meantime, please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice if you liked it this season. Go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Go let us know why you like the show. Please listen to everything else we've had on the feed. Nate referred to the gambling show that he and Beller did, which I think is going to be on the main feed, right, Beller? It's going to be available to you, so please check that out. Prospects the Pros had an episode this week. Sando and Randy did Football GM this week, so tons of great stuff. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Nate did some videos today that are going to be coming out a little bit later with some players. We're doing another one tomorrow. I did a a video about the Eagles rebuild that is available on the Athletic Football Show YouTube channel. So now is the time. If you have not subscribed, go check that out. You can click on a link to the YouTube channel in the description of this podcast if that's where you're listening. For now, that is all we've got. Really appreciate the time, guys. We will talk to you soon. This was the Athletic Football Show.